0: Hey, this is Stevie Rochelle from Tough and Metal Sludge, so your favorite website. You are locked and loaded on the Music Mania podcast. You're ready for some screaming heavy metal? We rock! But the evil that men do... We're gonna bat!
1: You are now listening to the Music Mania Podcast, brought to you by CD Warehouse in Gladstone, the number one hard rock podcast in the Midwest, featuring hard-hitting interviews with rock's living legends. And now, here's your host, Clint Schweitzer. Thank you so much for joining us on another edition of the Music Mania Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Schweitzer. As always, we appreciate you hitting that subscribe button on iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, either way you choose to take in the show. Uh, yes, I said Google Play. The show is now on Google Play for Android users, so everyone is covered. You've got Apple Podcasts, you've got Google Play, you've got YouTube. There is no excuse not to take in the Music Mania Podcast. We are always bringing you... The top-notch interviews, and that's what we're going to be doing on this show as original Alice Cooper bassist Dennis Dunaway is going to be joining us to talk about the group's humble beginnings, going to high school with Vincent Furnier, who later became Alice Cooper, and the artistic vision that set them on a course of success, some of the early albums like Pretty's For You, Killer... Love It to Death, Muscle of Love, Billion Dollar Baby, School's Out. We're going to be talking about it all, including his book, Snakes, Guillotines, and Electric Chairs, My Adventures in the Alice Cooper Group. It is a tell-all book that Dennis released in 2015. It is a tremendous read. I implore any Alice Cooper fan to read this. It's available on his website, dennisdunaway.com. But I'll tell you, as as a fan of Alice's entire career, To me, it always goes back to that original Alice Cooper group, the chemistry they had, the vision they had, and the fact that they were attacked by so many people in the media, by parents. They were really outcasts and rebels, and they they wrote the book on what it was like. Um, to, to be outcasts and to be rebellious and to really forge ahead with their vision and their, you know, the, the artistic vision they had that, that, that manifested itself on stage and helped the group become so popular. And Dennis is going to be talking about what he's been up to today, touring with Alice uh, for a, a brief uh reunion of the surviving original members back in 2017 he's had some um some some instances where he's been involved with alice he's done some stuff with the hollywood vampires on alice cooper side project he's done some uh, some shows and and come out and played with the current incarnation of the alice cooper group which he says is the best version since the original dennis dunaway a true legend uh, and wonderful bass player underrated bass player really and uh, he was such a big part of uh, the songwriting process and the original group. They had so many wonderful albums and, and hits in that early time from really from 1964 to 1974 is when he was involved with Alice. They were in groups like the Spiders, the Earwigs, the Naz, and then changed the name and it became legendary. Changed the name to Alice Cooper to reflect sort of, uh, you know, the, the style that they had. They wanted something, you know, they wanted to be very avant-garde and something to be kind of off about it. So when you hear the name Alice Cooper, just a normal American young girl's name or whatever they were looking for, and for it to be associated with this just very different, very um, almost burlesque, almost vaudevillian Uh, presentation that the group had it was so groundbreaking and we're so excited to get uh, into all that with Dennis and including the fact that he's now been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the original Alice Cooper group that happened back in 2011 Um, absolutely long overdue when that happened and so excited for Dennis and the original guys for getting to be a part of that of course um, the band that the surviving members you still have uh, Michael Bruce Dennis Dunaway Neil Smith And, um, obviously Glenn Buxton passed away in 1997, but the surviving members did do a tour of England back in 2017. So Alice still keeping them involved. They're such a part of this tale. Uh, Alice Cooper's career spanning, you know, almost five decades now. And, um, it's just so important to recognize that and recognize Dennis is such a, such an important member. Uh, And is such an important bass player in rock and roll. So got that coming up, guys. The fun does not stop here on the Music Mania podcast. We may getting ready. We are getting ready to say goodbye to 2018 as 2019 is upon us. But still so much to do. Uh, I'm going to be covering the LA Gun Show here this week in Kansas City. So we talked to Phil Lewis about a year ago. And I got to see the band in Tampa uh, back last February. But here we are. Um, the band's coming to Kent City, going to be doing a review of that show. So things are just heating up here. We've got so much coming up. And before we get to our interview with Dennis Dunaway, we've got to tell you about our sponsor, CD Warehouse in Gladstone, Missouri. I'll tell you what, guys, for over 20 years, a staple of the Northland. They buy, sell, and trade CDs, DVDs, vinyl, and more. Do not let the vibe of the old school record store go by the wayside. Hit them up today, CD Warehouse in Gladstone, Missouri, for over 22 years, a staple of the Northland. Hi, Dennis. It's Clint Sweitzer. How you doing, man?
0: Hi, hi, Clint. Well, uh, I'm doing well. I have a cold, but uh, <laughs> hopefully, I won't be coughing too much during this.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, well, that, that's what we have the cough button for. No problem. It happens to me all the time, Dennis. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I tell you what, it's it's a pleasure having you, man. I, this is just uh, this is just wonderful for us to to have you on the show. We've had, I think that you're about the ninth or tenth. Alice Cooper band member we've had on the show. Never Alice himself, but several of the band members over the years. And you being the only um, founding member. So this is a true uh, treat for us. Hope everything is going well for you, man. I know you're busy. You were talking about renting a rehearsal space, doing some shows. coming. I think you have a show coming up in late in late uh, December. Tell us what's going on with you, my friend.
0: Oh, I have uh, lots of stuff going on right now. Uh, Blue Coop are doing another album. That's my group with uh, Joe and Albert Bouchard. A Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, this will be our third album. We're very happy with the songs. This is the first album we've done where we did all of the work on the songs together in the same room, hashing it out, rather than online and all of that. Uh, so uh, we will be going in the studio next week. Yeah, so, so we're excited about that. I also uh, did a, uh, a film, song I wrote called Cold, Cold Coffin.
1: Wow. Uh,
0: And uh, so uh, the song is very visual. And uh, I played it for a friend of mine who's in film. And he said, we have to make a film out of this. And uh, one thing led to another, and it turned out to be a pretty big budget film. Uh, We're not calling it a music video, even though that's pretty much what it is. But (laughs) since it doesn't have a band in it or it's not really plugging a band, it's
1: That is, sounds absolutely tremendous. I cannot wait to see that. Um, you, you talked about Blue Coop. I mean, to really enjoyed uh, your last uh, album, Million Miles More. Uh, but you talked about doing it differently. I mean, is it, was it strange for you um, uh, kind of doing it, uh, you know, through... Because, I mean, it, in this day and age in music, a lot of people never wind up in the same room recording music. You're sending MP3s back and forth, Skyping and stuff like that. Was it, was it different doing it this way? Did you enjoy that better getting in the studio? Oh, absolutely. I mean,
0: it's like it's like all of the Alice Cooper original band's albums were done. You know, we were, we were all in the same room, pretty much. I mean, somebody might bring a song in, but we all hashed out every part uh, together. And that kind of a collaboration uh, is more uh, instantaneous than typing, you know? I get sick of typing. Um, when, you know, I wrote a book, for one thing. And and I thought I never want to type again after that. But then we did a couple of albums where it involved an awful lot of uh, you know. And then there's it's it's you have to be so precise to get your idea across. Where if you're in the same room, you can say, "No, that's not what I meant." I here, let me play it for you. Yeah, so uh, yeah. so, it, uh, and also it just is. Uh, well, you can hear it in the songs. We really like how, how these songs are coming out. Uh, it was, you know, you always intend to make the greatest album that you can. Uh, and and I, th- I guess you always feel like the one you're working on now is, is actually that. Uh, there's so many little things that can go wrong, though, but, uh, but we're very happy with this. And uh, Joe and Albert are both so prolific, you know. They they both do a million other things uh, besides this and it's all musical you know uh, i'm working with uh, guys that are uh completely dedicated to music
1: the, which is <laughs> tremendous um you know what and you know you talked about uh, you, the book you referenced it's uh snakes guillotines and electric chairs my adventures in the ellis cooper group uh this came out in 2015 dennis i just talk about Kind of the process and, and what um, you know what why you wanted to do this um, it I, it came out tremendous I mean these stories are things that you know you've a lot of you know fans of the original Alice Cooper group have never heard before from uh, from humble beginnings was uh, the earwigs and the Naz and, and on into uh, fame and uh, everything like that just talk about the process and why why you wanted to do this and then and, and you know three years later how you feel that uh, the reception's been and how it came out.
0: Well, uh, I I decided to do it for for two reasons. Uh, Number one, uh, I was in the hospital, I have Crohn's disease, and back in 97 I ended up in the hospital for a month and I was in a very serious condition. They had to build up my strength uh, so that I could survive the surgery. And uh, all of this snail mail came in from fans from all over the world, and I thought, you know, oh, they still remember me. Oh, great. So uh, then also the other reason is because my daughters grew up listening to their dad every time I would hear an interview or, or see something about the Alice Cooper group that needed corrected. I would blurt out the correction, and they even got to the point where they would say it before I did. (laughs) So they said, "Uh, Dad, uh, just shut up and write a book. So that was the other part of it. But it took me, uh, from the time I started writing, first of all, I had to learn how to write. You know, it's easy to say I wanna play guitar like Jimi Hendrix, but you can't just sit down and do it overnight. Uh, And uh, uh, so it took me like 10 years, to get the book written and then a manuscript just to hand in to a uh a publisher and then it took another eight years until i actually had the book in my hand so 18 years which was longer than the original group yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i brought in chris hoddenfield who was a writer for rolling stone back in uh 72 he did the uh uh, the article in Rolling Stone, uh, with Alice on the cover with the snake wrapped around mm-hmm. his face, which the Rolling Stone staff, uh, uh, voted and said that was the ugliest cover they ever had, which, yeah. uh, we take as a compliment, <laughs> of <Absolutely>. course.
1: <laughs> of course. Uh,
0: uh so, uh, Chris, uh, Chris was there. He went on tour with us, him and Annie Leibovitz, and, uh, uh, and so uh, he was the perfect partner for it because we we knew that we wanted to fill in all of the what was going on, uh, the climate of uh, America and, and the mindset. Uh, because otherwise, how can you realize how shocking the group was by today's standards? Well, back then we had censors uh, breathing down our neck every inch of the way, so. So, uh, you know, you could stick your toe across the line and get away with it. But if you went too far across, then all of a sudden you just plain wouldn't uh, wouldn't be allowed to be in the newspaper or whatever.
1: So, you know, the, what I find fascinating, and, and honestly, Dennis, we could go through this book page by page and, and every note of every Alice Cooper album, I'm such a fan. But I'll tell you what, one thing that I just kind of want, you know, as we gloss over kind of the general... Uh, you know, the general content here. One thing that stands out to me is that, you know, I always felt that um, Alice Cooper's kind of strange sense of humor and and strange art, you know, his strange interest in art. And it seems that you guys, as high school teenagers, um, kind of having art class together and kind of enjoying kind of this abstract art. (coughs) Now I'm the one coughing. I had to hit the the button for me now, uh, Dennis. But your guys' interest in, in kind of obscure art kind of fueled the, the direction of the band later on, and that's very interesting to me. You guys were students together in school, ran cross-country, but it was really your interest in art and kind of the macabre that kind of fueled this. Would, would you agree with that?
0: Oh, absolutely. We, we decided that we were going to start a rock band that incorporated artistic ideas into the show. And a lot of it had to do with, I don't know if you know that Salvador Dali picture where there's a cat flying through the air and there's water flying through the air and a chair flying through the air and all these objects are had been tossed from the side and, the, and frozen in time in the photograph. But uh, that had a lot to do with the, what we wanted to do on stage. We wanted it to be just all kinds of crazy things going on. And then if somebody told their friend to come and see what this band did the next night, it would be different. And in the early days, it pretty much rotated like that at a very rapid pace.
1: It's unbelievable. And you know, so many wonderful experiences and then it was a, it was a whirlwind. It had to be, but now uh, as, as we look back on it, you're a rock and roll hall of famer. Alice Cooper went in, um, uh, back in, in 2011 I believe does that yes d- does that justify to you and being a part of it too you know being coming back and the the surviving members have have always kind of still been a part of things does it justify to you everything that you guys did and built as, as part of the Alice Cooper group when you look back on it
0: uh, oh absolutely yeah uh, it has this uh, uh, validation to it that uh You you know, it it makes us feel like, uh, oh, we weren't so crazy after all, huh?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or just crazy enough, maybe. (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, that's true. We we were as crazy as we could get away with without being censored.
1: Right, absolutely. I always find it fascinating and there's so many like little quips and stories and things that we can get into I you know I, but I one thing that always stands out to me is I was always been a big fan of Bob Ezrin and the work he's done and obviously he was instrumental in and uh, in, in you got in your guys' success early on and I remember Bob Ezrin telling me a story one time where he said I saw this group um and it was um I think it was in LA um and he said I heard this group and they played this song and I loved it it's, they kept saying over and over I'm edgy And I loved it, and I and I and of course that that it was eighteen, and it was you guys, and and then Bob Ezrin comes in, and kind of the rest is history. I mean, is that kind of how you remember it, Bob Ezrin? Kind of taking interest in you guys? Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. That's true. Except it was in New York City. It was Max's Kansas City, and uh, and Bob was the young. Bob looked younger than he actually was back then, but he looked just like some kid that came up and said, "Hey." I'm Bob Ezrin, and I work for Jack Richardson, who is who we really were targeting to get uh, to become our producer. and uh, bob Bob said he really loved that song, I'm edgy. <laughs> uh, and, and he didn't find out until after a bunch of uh, business had gone down and and then he came to our farm in Pontiac and came down to the rehearsal room to start our very first, Afternoon of uh, working together, and he said, "Let's do." I'm edgy, and that's when we broke the news to him. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> uh, I love that. I love stories like that, and you know, you guys were so instrumental, and we paved the way for so many bands. After that, whenever you know, this the band started taking off, and obviously, um, when you changed the name of, of the group from the Naz to Alice Cooper, um, it's sort of natural. Um, and maybe not then. Since then, you've had, you know, bands like Marilyn Manson, where the, the name of the band becomes the lead singer's name. Did you see that kind of happening when you when you did that? And obviously, as the Alice Cooper character evolved, did you kind of see it coming down the pike? Maybe that, OK, we, we have a situation where. You know, people are starting to think that this is the singer's name is Alice Cooper, and then his character evolves, and then obviously it winds up leading to him taking off solo, and you guys, you know, forming your own band. I mean, did you kind of see that coming at any point? Well,
0: at the at the time that we decided on that name, uh, it was it was decided with the understanding that it was the group name, and we were so avant garde, you know, artistic. That if somebody came in the backstage room and said, "Hey, Alice," none of us would look because we would we would take that as they didn't get what we were doing. Right. And, uh, and then later on it evolved into, it can be both things. It can be the band as Alice Cooper and the singer as Alice Cooper. And that would have been fine, except all of a sudden, uh, during the Billion Dollar Babies tour, a publicist was hired that said, I don't know how to promote a group named Alice Cooper, but I, but I know how to promote an individual. Anyway, that's what we were told. And that's when everything started changing. And, and not only... Uh, was all of the publicity going out as an individual? Uh, uh, you know that was okay for a while because it would there would be a picture of Alice and there would be a picture of the group. But then when the group was uh, eliminated from all of the publicity and stuff, and and not only that, but they were hiring new people that would treat us like a backup band. So that's uh, that's when things started getting. Uh, we, it wasn't fun anymore.
1: Certainly, and that's you know there there was a lot that went on and a lot that you and the original members had to kind of cop to 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 and because you know and I've heard you say in interviews before and I think this is rare in the music business because you know obviously know and I, I want to get into this here in a little bit you've you know the the surviving members have come back and, and toured uh with Alice Cooper and done some really exciting things but at the time you know to make this kind of go on you said it's it's better to stay friends than to go after maybe the money or the you know and I think that's maybe one of the most rare things in the music business are you happy the way that turned out well
0: you know it's it's bittersweet because there's uh there's so many people in my life that tell me, well, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you, you gave away all the money, you know. But, uh, but at the time, Neil and Michael and I had a lawyer in place and we had things all rolling along ready to sue. And then we had a meeting and said, you know what, let's not do this for, for two reasons. Number one, we started as friends. We achieved our, our greatest goal, and uh, uh, and if we if we sue, then that'll definitely be nails in the coffin for the group ever getting back together. We had no idea that it would go on for decades with us still being shoved out of our own band.
1: That's a very interesting way to put it. So I do sense some, you know, that there I can see how there could be some bittersweet attitudes there. But um it's been over a year ago now, and back in November of seventeen, uh, you guys did a did a tour of of England together. Talk about that. What was that like for you, just emotionally and as a player, uh, stepping back on stage and and all you guys back together again, of course, um, without uh, without Glenn, of course. Um, but talk about what that was like and and just your experience there on that tour.
0: Yeah, well, that's always the shame that Glenn's not there. But you know what? He's such a part of. Of what we did, and he's such a part of the songs that he's kind of there anyway. Uh, But uh, we—it was thrilling. I mean, here we are playing to fourteen thousand people at Wembley. You know, the last time we played there was in nineteen seventy-two, and on that show we packed it by stalling a truck with a billboard of Alice naked, with only the snake hiding. You know, the critical. Places and uh, uh, and and then Billion Dollar Babies album went to number one. So so, but w- but the original band didn't play there again until until last year. Uh, but the other thing about it is, it's just pure. You know, whenever we're together, Alice and I have been friends since he was sixteen and and I or he was fifteen and I was sixteen, something like that. Uh, and and you know, when we get together we're all in high school again, you know, because we all went to high school either at the same high school. Glenn and Alice and I went to the same high school. Neil went to Camelback High, which you could practically throw a rock and hit from from our high school. And Michael went to another area high school. And the other icing on the cake for that tour was the opening band was the Tubes. And all of those guys went to high school and were in bands in Phoenix, Arizona at that time. We were all just... Starry-eyed kids, you know, uh, having fun, uh, playing at the local uh, uh, spot, you know, and and so here we are. There's eight guys from Arizona playing Wembley.
1: That's so cool. I'm so I'm so glad that happened. Just as a as a fan um, of the original Alice Cooper group, I mean, when you. And, and not only that, you've been a part of of, of, uh, of other shows, too. You've come out and played with, with the current lineup of Alice Cooper, which, by the way, you know, I've talked to, uh, we've had Nita Strauss on this show, we've had Ryan Roxy. Um, we all talk about the fact that, we, this is uh, the best incarnation of the band since the original band. Uh, they've both made it a, a point to say that they both seemingly have a lot of respect for what yeah. what you guys did. What's it been like, um, be, you know, being on stage with them, rubbing shoulders with uh, you? Got Tommy Hendrickson and Glenn Sobel. and it's, it's a great group right now. What's it been like uh, in your interactions with them? Uh,
0: they're very respectful, and we're respectful of them, and. Uh, and I agree. I think they're the best incarnation since the original group. Uh, Glen Sobel plays with a swing feel, where I think there were a lot of other drummers through the years that didn't. And that kind of throws off how all of those songs were written. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, Nita is, is uh, you know, a showstopper, no doubt about it. Uh and uh uh you know, Tommy is the is the musical director for most everything that Alice does, him and Ezrin. And uh uh, you know, and Ryan's just a great guy who uh every time I get together with him I remind him that that uh my daughter had a crush on him the first time she saw him with Alice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, so they're all they're all great. You know, Chuck Garrick has been with uh, Alice for more years than I was. So uh, you know, uh, the, so that's that's really the extra thing. They're all really fun to be around, and uh, so that tour was a blast. I mean, we had uh, four tour buses, double deckers, and one was for the crew. One was for. Alice and uh, uh, half of the band and, and the other one was for the original group and half of the band and then there was a bus for catering which was the best food I've ever had.
1: <laughs> well, that's worth it right yeah, there.
0: You're, yeah, you're <laughs> backstage with the equipment rolling in and out, but you've got, like, this amazing meal going.
1: <laughs> that that makes it all worth Not it Not like right the there. old
0: days. I'm like, you know, they're talking about, oh, what would you like? You have a selection of five things, <laughs> five main courses. I'm like... Uh, give me anything, because uh, back in the old days, all we cared about is how much beer we have.
1: Absolutely! Oh my gosh! Yeah, absolutely. And that—that—that's just the the wonderful part about it. And that um, obviously that was a, a big part for 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 Vince for Alice. He you know overcame had to overcome a lot of that. And I mean, you know, back in your day, we never it was really hitting hard around um, let's see, nineteen seventy one um, killer. And things like that. Alice was, I mean, was going out of control uh, with his drinking. And and is it, you know, when you look back on that and you see that literally uh, he wrote a book called Golf Monster, where where he literally claims that he was able to overcome his addiction, replacing it with playing golf. Uh, I I don't think that it would have been as crazy for you guys if, if every everywhere you went, you just went and found the next golf course back in the 70s. But it's sure working for him now, it seems like, which is a good thing.
0: That's right, uh, and his faith have been uh, his uh, saving graces, but uh, that's true. So, uh, but uh, Alice's Alice uh, was a functional drunk. So, so of course, him and Glenn were drinking uh, during Killer Love It To Death. well, all the way since Pretties For You, really. But it didn't really get to the point where it started uh, becoming. Uh, uh, an issue until the Billion Dollar Babies tour,
1: and that's, that's when that's
0: yeah. when it got so bad that you know Alice would be forgetting lyrics, or there were even nights when he couldn't even stand up on stage. He would just crawl around. But but the audience that was an endearing to the character, and he got away with it. Where Glenn Buxton didn't. So the hammer would come down on Glenn Buxton for playing some bad notes and. Okay. And he's like, well, how come they're, how come they're uh, coming down on me when, when, and they're all stumbling over each other to get Alice another drink?
1: Well, I find it fascinating that as you look at the history of, of rock and roll that, you know, from bands like Chuck Berry to Little Richard to Elvis Presley, that there is when you really started seeing parents, you know, become just horrified at the idea of, uh, of, of, what this music could do to, to, pe- to kids and, but but really, it wasn't until you guys that the bad press almost turned around and was a it was a good thing for you guys. I remember um, Alice saying things like, "Hey, to us, we just said all you know, we told everyone to believe all the stories because it, it helped us." I mean, to the the first one I remember was the the chicken in in Toronto getting thrown into the crowd and torn up and that you guys sacrificed a chicken. I mean, can you, can you go through that and just talk about, um, the perception and, and how, when things started really coming down on you guys, as far as press and, and, and parents and negativity, and then how you kind of use that to, to fuel your success really.
0: Well, well, that's true. You know, we, uh, there was a point where if we got a good review, we would be worried. <laughs> but, but we learned early on, you know, it was that uh, rock and roll rebel thing, or you know, the, it's kind of like jumping the shark. Uh, you can you can get a mention in a in a music magazine, you know, a Circus or or Cream magazine or whatever back then. But if you wanted to get into the into the mainstream newspapers, you know, we saw it. Alice and I saw it all the way all the way early on, you know, who, who got the big press in all of the papers? It would be Jerry Lee Lewis, and it would be, you know, it was these guys that would do something that was newsworthy other outside of their music, like the Rolling Stones peeing on a building. You know, all of a sudden, they're in, they're in the uh, uh, papers across the country. So we knew that, and we also really believed that uh, uh, the ingredients to good rock and roll is it's got to be... Energetic, controversial, and parents can't like it,
1: which has became the standard for decades to come. Which is, un, you know, that's what I mean. It was, you guys were such a such. You guys were a flag waving group in so many ways, and that's a huge part of it because this is not. I mean, you guys had your first album in nineteen sixty nine. This this the book hadn't been written until you guys wrote the book on this stuff. I mean, that's that's incredible, and I don't think the music gets enough. Uh, Credence, because I think you guys had some amazing albums. My favorite Alice Cooper album to this day is Love It to Death. I love Killer. You talked about things kind of unraveling, Billion Dollar Babies*, Muscle of Love. Th- those are still great classic <laughs> Alice Cooper group albums. Do you have a favorite? Does, does something stand out to you? Because I know School's Out is the one that kind of really set you guys going, but is there an album that stands out that's that's, that's your favorite when you look back on it?
0: Yeah, well, this is like Sophie's choice. You know, it's like <laughs> right. I love I love almost every single song we ever did, and I enjoy playing them every single time. But I I would say that for uh, an avant garde artistic statement that had never been done before and never will be done again, "Pretty for You," and then for just the musicianship and uh, the the group firing on all. Uh, cylinders and the group still being the group who was in charge of everything, killer,
1: yeah, absolutely. And and, and killer was a, a tremendous, I think it goes right along with with uh, Love It to Death, like they just kind of compliment each other so well. And you know, it's uh, both so wonderful and everything you guys did. Uh, what what you know, when you look into the future here, Alice, um really has no no intentions of retiring. He is an absolute machine on stage to this day. His members talk about how he's, you know, literally talking about football or baseball off stage and as soon as the curtain drops, he's a different person, he's a character. What what do you think the future is as far as uh, you know, um, you know, recording, playing with Alice and, and what do you see kind of going on in the future with that? Uh, well, we never know.
0: It seems like every time we do something with Alice, other than you know uh, the, uh, the Good Records reunion out in Dallas that uh, that has just been released on 12-inch vinyl on Record Store Day the, the whole show which was like seven songs but <clears throat> that I had a lot to do with the planning of along with Chris Penn who owns Good the record store Good Records uh, you know and then Nashville when we got together there. I had a lot to do with that as well, and it, and but it was there was a lot of luck involved. What are the odds that I will be invited to do a, a show in Nashville, and Alice will be there the night before and have that night off? Well, the same thing happened in Dallas. Yeah, Alice had a night off, and that's and and the the odds against that are so uh, great. Uh, but, so those happen, but, but generally, you know, like, uh, uh, the Christmas pudding, you know, all of a sudden my phone is ringing off the hook and everything. And people are like, oh, great. You're going to be at the Christmas pudding. Not this year, but this is going back 2010. And, uh, uh, I'm like, oh, okay, I better call Alice, you know, <laughs> cause he'll make an announcement before he tells me, <laughs> <laughs> well- uh, but, but that was great too. We, we did, you know, he does his Christmas pudding things, and it's it's great because it's like uh, his father was a part time minister that did a lot of uh, benefit work for the uh, Native Americans in Arizona, the Navajos and the Hopi and all that. And uh, uh, so Alice has this solid rock foundation. And they do a lot of cool stuff. Cheryl has a dance studio. They have a recording studio. They teach music there. They do all kinds of things. Uh, And to generate the funds, Alice has this yearly event, which uh, this year I think uh, Hollywood vampires are playing, but he always has like this long roster of uh, top talent. You know, and then it will have things like, The little kids from the dance school come out and do a number, you know, and all that. Uh, So, uh, anyway, the one that we did in 2010, uh, we had been nominated uh, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But, you know, since we, it had been eight years since we were eligible to become nominated, we, we were skeptical because there had been years before that where people said, oh, you're nominated, and then it turned out that we weren't and all that. Uh, But anyway, so we were rehearsing in this big facility that rents out musical PAs and lighting and stuff for bands, and we're just in the back room there uh, rehearsing for the show with uh, Steve Hunter on guitar, and uh, Alice's guy, Kyler Clark, comes in and says, stop playing, stop playing. We're like, what, what? He says, you're in we're like, what?
1: For real? And so uh, uh,
0: most of the audience at the show that night didn't, didn't know that we had been inducted. And Bob Ezrin went out, and we were behind the curtain, and Bob Ezrin went out to introduce us, and he announced that we had been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, it was the warmest-sounding uh, reception. The, the, I'm getting chills just thinking about it again right now, but uh, it was great. You know it's so rewarding it's uh it's not only for us feeling oh well you know we we had so many people that were down on us because of the image you know and throughout the year all that you they can't play you know and all that they have to hide behind theatrics we you know and we'd work our uh, we'd work extremely hard to write a song uh, is it my body uh, and then we decided to bring out a snake and we'd perform it live, and, and everybody would write about the snake. So, so And that's why, going back to Killer, that's why we wrote uh, Halo of Flies. We said, we're going to write a song that's going to put an end to them saying we can't play.
1: That's interesting, because that is one that I always point to, you know, as a, as one of the great songs that, um, of the original Alice Cooper group. It's so many tempo changes and time changes and melodies. It's unbelievable. Halo of Flies is always... Going to be one of my favorites, Dennis. But I, you know, I tell you what, it's it's been such a pleasure to have you on, Dennis, to talk about um, talk about the book, which is still available on DennisDunaway.com. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can get it through that way, but the website is probably the easiest way to get there: DennisDunaway.com, And you can see all the uh, everything you got coming up from uh, your discography and um, albums and news. It's all there: DennisDunaway.com is the best way to get a hold of you.
0: Correct? That's it. Yep, I'm easy to find on the internet.
1: You are. That's that's how I found you. I tracked you down pretty easily. So that's kind of scary. If if I can get a hold of you for this interview, I mean, it, pretty much anyone can because it, it didn't take much, man. I'm, <laughs> and I'm happy for that. Thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure, Dennis. Okay, Clint. Let, let's stay in touch and good luck on. And we'll whenever you have the new album uh, with uh, to, to promote, let's let's do it. And we'll, we'll anything we can do for you, man. We thank you so much.
0: Okay, Clint. Great. I really enjoyed
1: this. Thanks. Me too, my friend. Thank you. Bye. What a huge pleasure it was uh, to talk to Dennis Dunaway. What a great guy, tremendous bass player, and um, really important in the career of the original Alice Cooper group, and having you know helping to you know lay the groundwork uh, musically and artistically for what that band became and what Alice became once he sort of took on the persona and that name, and the fact that he decided that he and the original group decided that you know what it's better to stay friends than to cause than to do this lawsuit than to sue over the name wow it's really rare stuff in the music business and they probably missed out on a lot of a lot of money and um maybe a lot of fame that could have come their way from you know having you know, rights to that name but here we are um there's still some some you know, a bittersweet attitude i think towards alice because it's clear that the original group still feels a little bit cast aside um, even though that they're able to come out and, and play some shows and do some things. Um, I still think that there's some some bitterness there and it's understandable, but uh, what a career. I'm, um, Alice Cooper, from Pretties for You, to Welcome to My Nightmare, to School's Out, to Constrictor, to Trash, to pretty much everything that the guy's been a part of. I'm a lifelong fan and to be able to talk to, to Dennis, that's... Uh, that's a huge coup for us here on the on the Music Mania Podcast, and that's what we do. You guys already know the songs on this show. We give you the stories, and that's what's important for us. Guys, we always appreciate the feedback. Go to um, our Twitter, at Music Mania underscore show. Uh, you can send us an email. If you've got a, a show review or photos or anything you want to say, you can send us an email at, uh, excuse me, Music Mania Podcast at gmail.com. The website, musicmaniapodcast.com. Mania That's where all our shows are archived, over 100 shows now. So many interviews, so little time. That's how we put it here on the show. Um, And I always also do a concert review of any show that I attend. So if you want to check that out, it's all there on the website, musicmaniapodcast.com. We appreciate you hitting that subscribe button on iTunes, on Google Play, and certainly YouTube, any way you choose to take in the show. We thank you so much for listening. More next week. The excitement never ends here on the Music Mania Podcast.